he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. Get me a gay, Mickey. Gotta get a gay. Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Details, a celebration of nuance where each episode I queen out on all of the acting choices, micro moments, and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great. My name is Colin Drucker. Your name is Barbara Bell Geddes. And we are not alone, my friends, because for the third time, we've got Hall of Fame guest of In the Details, Leanne. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Colin. So good to see you. Finally. I know. I know. We were talking before we before we turned on the mics that it has been the world that you and I were in. Because I actually think, am I crazy that you and I recorded an episode in like February of 2020? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it was February. And that was our hysterical blindness episode, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I... I feel like that was a, di I mean, it was a different era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the first episode we did? We did uh, Muriel's Wedding. That's right. That's yes. right. So I feel like, and so now this week, those two are both movies I think I, I came in with an appreciation of. Hysterical Blindness, I think, is a, a thing you and I share of just like, you know, does anyone else know about this amazing movie? <laughs> but this week, you actually are, you're responsible for this because I had never seen all about my mother before and this was your recommendation I'd heard of it and I thought okay let's give it a go you know and I gotta tell you like first and foremost thank you for this uh, truly a birthday present awakening oh. me to all about my mother oh welcome no I mean, it makes me really happy to see like you got into this so yay oh it just I mean I had seen I think I'd seen a couple of Maldivar movies before. I think I saw Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, like, before I really appreciated it. Like, I think I need to go back to that one mm -hmm. and probably all the others now. But I I think we should just – we should dive in because I, I – part of this episode is me wanting to ask you a lot of questions about this movie, about a Maldivar. Um, but first and foremost, how are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. You know, living a different life than last time we talked, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> making art, doing origami and uh, I'm a notary public now Ooh. in Missouri. Uh, go figure. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I'm up to. I'm an artist and I'm a notary public now. I, so I love it. I actually, <laughs> I need a notary public. I don't know if you could... <laughs> help or know somebody i'll set you up with a new york person yeah, yeah. Uh, funny you should mention that so not you know uh, a helpful skill certainly well good i'm glad you've got some you've got some new skills you've got some art i feel like these are the things that are important and you have got some great movie recommendations I, we need to dive in so all right tell me about the first time you saw all about my mother tell me about like how this movie came into your life Okay, so back in like the turn of the century, I was in college at William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. Oh, yes. Oh. Yes. And I'm a, I'm a comm major. So, you know, film, TV, that kind of thing. So I took this class on Spanish cinema and with this guy, Dr. Bruce Williams, and he made us watch like, well, basically like a, like uh, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. But that was like my first introduction to a Moldavar. And this is a really intense class. I mean, half the kids were Spanish. Students had to write all their stuff in Spanish. It was intense. Wow. And I mean, I, I he just basically rammed this like Spanish cinema, all sorts of different directors into our heads. So throughout my um, 
studies in school and even into grad school. So I went to the grad school in like 2002, also at William Patterson, mm-hmm. uh, same thing, film studies. And so I studied uh, a Moldavar as well in like a higher, obviously graduate level. And so I wrote about him. And so I've been like studying this stuff for like 20 years, over 20 years. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. wow. So yeah. you are, this is, this is not just like, oh, I like this movie because it has a great soundtrack and pretty colors. You, I picked up the homework from 20 years ago. I have stuff I wrote literally about him. So yeah. Hard copy. <laughs> wow. Now, and we, yeah. had, we had talked a little bit. We were messaging on Instagram because I know there was there's another movie. It's The Flowers of My Secret, I think, that you had uh, also The read. Flower of My Secret, which is, like, really great. But, I like, it's not as known as All About My Mother. Right. So I figured, like, All About My Mother. I love the other one, too. So it, they're both wonderful uh, in their different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that you had mentioned that, like, really seeing one a Maldivar movie doesn't even though I think he does a lot of references of one movie and another one, oh, yeah. there's a lot about each one, I think you had said, really kind of has its own flavor and style that is also a unique being that like this, watching The Flower of My Secret may have some connection to this movie, but mm-hmm. in so many other ways, it's a totally different movie. Very different. It's not as tragic. It's not as deep. It's it's about a tragic love affair. This is about family more mm-hmm. uh well, it's about family and motherhood and things like that women really but um yeah all uh, flower my secret is about a tragic love affair mm-hmm. yeah and how a woman deals with it oh i mean I, uh, I you know a middle-aged woman and that's why it's so wonderful i will be watching that this week i, I looked it up like i because i saw on imdb that there is kind of a a plot or thematic connection with all about my mother in terms mm-hmm. of the um when uh Manuela is filming those kind of recreations about organ donation. Is that is that the connection? It's almost the same scene. It's very interesting. So there's this the whole scene where she's doing the organ donation training video for the doctors. Mm-hmm. And that same sequence is like in The Flower of My Secret, but in like a different context. But uh-huh. he took that and he's like, oh, I was really into that. So I thought I'd expand it into this movie. He does it all the time with different plot threads. You'll hear somebody say something in one movie and then it pops up and that's another movie. Oh, I love that. I just flat out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just these little Easter eggs that if you know, you know where. And I love that even he's indulging. Like, I love this so much. I want to do it again and I want to mm-hmm. expand it. It's It makes sense because there's a lot about, at least about this movie, that just feels... I mean, and the whole movie is really just a dedication to his mother and to actresses and to people playing women and playing mothers. And just the movie is a dedication and it feels that way. There's so much like there's so much fucking heart in this movie. Well, yeah, actually, his whole dedication. So it's like a, it's a whole it's right at the end. Uh, it's to Betty Davis, Gina Rollins, Romy Schneider. So those are three very important actresses. So uh, to all actresses who play, who have played actresses, to all women who act, to all men who act and become women, to all people who want to become mothers, to my mother. I mean, that's beautiful. He's basically dedicating it to the whole female world. Yeah. And I mean, and this movie is, and part of one of the reasons I loved it was just like the the appreciation, obviously the appreciation of women in general, but I feel like in the context of, of being an actrosexual myself, there was just the appreciation of not only like Manuela as our, as our lead, but just the like bevy of best supporting actresses. Like movies, this movie gives you like four or five BSAs. Most movies barely give you one. And I was just like, wow, where have I been, Pedro? Like, I, I see what you're doing here. And it's, I, that was one of the things I loved the most was getting to see 
there's so many women in this movie and each woman is really her own individual story and character and and none of these women are kind of just like the wife of or even the mother of even though she's all about my mother it's not just about manuela as the mother it's uh, you know i don't know you just don't get roles this rich for so many women in one movie exactly i mean you have like five female leads basically manuela obviously is this the, the the protagonist but it's just wild how they're so important everybody's going through basically like the worst time of their life and yet it's it's beautiful you want to hang out with them anyway absolutely you know he makes it sort of lush and beautiful but there's an interesting so i found this really interesting quote from uh it's from filmmaker magazine from 1999 fall issue and this is how it kind of like explains like what he's doing or why it's a little it's amplified and you want to hang out with these tragic people. Um, so he says, the colors of my movie are not completely real because I like that distance. That th that this is a movie and reality is over there. I don't want to make something that looks completely real. I want to make a representation of that. And that this was appealing to me and that's why I started making movies. So in general, like that's his whole thing, like tragedy, but make it filmic so right. you can handle it right right you know yeah it's like you know tragedy but make it fashion yeah mm -hmm. um well and and i think you know within that like there's there's the tragedy of everything that's happening and then it's like to try to describe what this movie is about is i mean i'm sure is a is a question you have navigated in your in the last 20 years but what i love about this is like the plot of all about my mother and I, I read there was a I read a snippet of a review in IMDb that had said that like if this, if this was a like this could very easily be like a southern gothic campy soap opera if it was made in the US and it has all of the elements of like you know of a Tennessee Williams play of a Douglas Sirk movie of a George Cukor movie like it has definitely the melodrama of like a Douglas Sirk movie. I felt like the way this plot moves is almost similar to like imitation of life where it's spanning over a period of time. It's about all of these kind of like, you know, chapters and incidents that are kind of leading up to this moment. It's obviously so much more complex than a Douglas Sirk movie, but I loved, I mean, is that something that like resonates for you that there is a heart of melodrama here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's definitely, I mean, this is like a, a play on a few different plays and movies. I mean, all about my mother is all about Eve. Mm -hmm. It's like an allusion to that film. And then you have allusions to obviously streetcar named desire in the movie. Cause you see the play mm -hmm. over and over again. And then you have allusions to Truman Capote. Cause he's mentioned as, as, as Lorca. So you have like two, like, you know, literary, uh, every, all these other like influencers coming in to sort of paint what he wants to have, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's like all of these sort of amplify or, or comment about those other uh, texts. Yeah. So it's really brilliant, you know, how he does that. To your point about the reality and the fiction thing, it's like, there's so many, mo there's the way that like reality becomes fiction, fiction becomes reality throughout this with all about Eve with streetcar named desire, the way that Manuela identifies with Stella and then becomes Stella quote unquote, but also kind of is Stella in real life. And, and the fact that Lola had played Kowalski. I mean, it's just, that's another thing I loved about this is it's just, it is a hollow bread of just weaving ideas and stories and plots and like, you know, 
the you know, and I know that you know um, he has you know parallel mothers that just came out. But this movie is also about parallel mothers, you know, constantly. And who's the mother now? And to back up, and I will not try to describe the entire plot, but just to to orient anybody who's never seen this before. First of all, go see All About My Mother. Uh, you don't even you don't even have to go anywhere. You could just <laughs> rent it on YouTube. Um, but it all begins with Manuela and her son who. Reads a bit gay to me, but maybe I'm subjective, oh, yeah. right? Oh, no, he's absolutely... I mean, what other boy... Okay, you know, it's one thing to hang out with your mom and have dinner. That's fine, and have a watch a movie. But right. then he wants a Capote book for his birthday, and then he wants to go to see Streetcar with his mom right. for his birthday. I mean, right. come, on. come on. It's just kind of... It's pretty obvious Yeah, uh, yeah. without saying anything. And I yeah. love that. Of like, yes, you're hanging out with your mom, watching All About Eve, going to see Streetcar, reading Capote. Like, it all checks out. You're obsessed with your mother... And so they eventually, yes, for his birthday, they go to see Streetcar Named Desire, which stars um, this actress, Huma Rojo, you know, an appropriate last name because red is everywhere in this movie. Mm-hmm. And and she is, we'll get to her. Um, but then that night, as he's running off after her car to get an, uh, an autograph, he gets hit by a car. And then that sends Manuela to go to Barcelona to look for Esteban's father, who is now a transgender sex worker named Lola. Well, she's in Barcelona. She meets an old friend, Agrado, who is maybe one of my new favorite movie characters, played by Antonio yeah. San Juan. She, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> now, bef- I, I just have to say, like, I love the idea that in the All About Eve of this all, Agrado is kind of the Thelma Ritter character. You know, yeah. that I, yeah. And that's what I was just like, oh, the the... I love that she's given so much of this movie, you know, because in All About Eve, the Thelma Ritter character kind of gets written out in the second half. So, like, to me, it's like, oh, yes, this is what that character deserves. She deserves a monologue in the second act, you know? And then, uh, and so then, yeah, she meets up with a grotto, and then, and and at this point, I was like, I have no idea where this movie is going. And that's mm-hmm. what I loved about this, is it almost plays out like a miniseries, because then she goes with the grotto to meet Rosa, played by Penelope Cruz, who's a nun, to try to get them work. And then, you know, uh, Rosa, uh, Manuela kind of takes Rosa kind of under her wing in a way. Rosa's pregnant. Turns out Rosa's pregnant with Lola's baby as well. And then there's Rosa's mother. And... Um, and and it just becomes and then and then i mean it's like then you get the kind of you know all about eve of manuela helping huma becoming her assistant and so it's just these these weaving plot lines of the way that manuela weaves into huma's life and then huma's you know love affair with nina and then her relationship with rosa and then and throughout the way like a grotto is just you know best supporting a grotto the whole time and it shouldn't work. This, these, all of these disparate plot lines, all of these kind of like coincidental moments, the mere fact that like Huma hires Manuela or even in the very beginning was like, can you drive? You know, and, and kind of becomes a real life Blanche of, of relying on the kindness of strangers to go look for Nina. I, that was one of the things I think I really enjoyed the most was that there is so much plot here and everything that I just described is maybe 60% of the plot. There's still so much more. And, I never got bored. I never got lost. And I didn't really want it to end. (laughs) Well, it's like so magical and crazy. I mean, all of those things shouldn't have happened. Like, I mean, she shouldn't have just been, oh, the first, you you take the taxi right into town and run into your friend and stop an assault. 
uh, you know, amazing. Right, right. Your friend you haven't seen for 18 years. Like, it's all these magical things that happen that are, but, but are perfect because I think like a lot of it, um, well, it's obviously acting is brilliant the way the pacing is done, but like that soundtrack, the, the score is mm-hmm. so beautiful and really kind of gives this magical element. So you know you're watching a movie. You yeah. know it's it's cinema. This I mean, it's very insistent. Uh, soundtrack you know there's a lot of solo elements of like guitar piano accordion trumpet mm-hmm. sort of loud jazzy moody uh, makes you almost feel like you're running away from something and, and so it kind of gives this feel of like because Manuel is really running she's running from she doesn't know what to do with herself yeah she's literally running I mean she does go to Barcelona to see the father but really what else does she have in her life at that point nothing right right and there's kind of the question of like because once, you know, she does eventually see Lola in like the last 15 minutes of the movie at Rose's funeral, we kind of see all that would happen between them, you know, maybe in her headspace at the time, you know, of like, it would just be a matter of telling Lola that Esteban is dead and then leaving. And so it's true, Manuela doesn't really have anything else. And I was reading another review about this that was saying that like, in an, in an older Amaldivar movie, Esteban getting hit by a car and dying would have kind of crippled men, uh, the character of Manuela. Mm-hmm. But in this version, it kind of empowers her and she does start a new life and she does kind of find strength and, you know, in a lot of ways, yeah, gets, gets the second chance at motherhood in some ways first with Rosa and then literally gets a second chance with the son of Lola named Esteban via Rosa's, you know, but Rosa being the surrogate, like, it's it's definitely a movie about grief, but there is such a, like, we really see, like, a very paced-out way in which Manuela rebuilds almost entirely her her old life. But I don't know. It, maybe not exactly the same, but at least kind of she almost ends the movie the way she started it, you know? Yeah, but, like, more empowered and with more like magic i mean just also the way i mean we haven't even talked about the way that hiv aids is like treated is Mm -hmm. so revolutionary i mean it made me like i mean i haven't seen this movie probably it's been a decade or something it's that since i rewatched it and i mean i got emotional because i was like oh my god like the promise of that of what like the little baby like maybe not having aids or whatever is like kind of what we are we're at now kind of where people have aids treatments and people can even have undetectables when they take treatment i mean it's beautiful we didn't think that's what i mean 1999 we people were still dying all over the place it was a terrible time i had friends at that time who were still coming out to me and being like i have hiv and like nobody would talk about it because they didn't want people to shun them right that was happening at that time still so it's really beautiful that he could be that positive about that situation at that time yeah it was i mean he he definitely like shows the reality of like with rosa's mother that you know rosa you know finding out that rosa um had hiv and that you know the antibodies were sort of transferred to the baby and uh and then she has kind of that you know irrational fear that like you know i i don't even want to touch the baby i don't want to get sick and which is very much reflective of what you know points of view were and then to have it be like you know, this miracle that this baby, you know, uh, overcame HIV and is now they're going to this conference. Like it's, there is a lot about this movie that I think at the time, not only about HIV, but about transgender folks that like, there is a positive 
spin or a less tragic take that you just were not seeing even, you know, 20 something years ago. Yeah. Cause I mean, even when this came out and we watched it and, um, you know, obviously we were in college and grad school. So we were like talking about it, like on a really like, you know, respectful level, but it even seemed kind of wacky uh-huh. kind of, it wasn't as wacky as his old films. Cause it isn't, I mean, his old films are pretty wacky and even some of the new stuff is, is it's depending on where, what he wants to do. But, um, you know, it was seen like, Oh, this is his style. And it's just like maybe his Spanish kookiness or something. Mm-hmm. Cause how could there be a, um, a, a guy and he's a woman and he has a son. And I mean, cause people knew about trans people, but we didn't have that terminology. Right. Uh, they don't even use that terminology in the film. Right. Right. Really? No, not really. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that is really like in terms of the, the conversations being had is even distinguishing between someone being trans and, and drag and like, Oh yeah, that's funny. I'm, that whole conversation is yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And the way that like a grotto is really kind of a revolutionary trans character in that a, she's, uh, she ends up being, you know, uh, a positive, well-adjusted, loved, you know, smart, you know, not tragic character. I mean, she starts off at her most tragic and mm. then ends kind of at her most thriving um, or certainly just not where she was in the beginning of getting assaulted as a sex worker. And, you know, I mean, even her monologue when they have to cancel the show and just her describing what it takes to be her authentic self and that, like, you know, she basically says that, you know, yeah, I did all this plastic surgery. She lists off all the costs for all the surgery and whatnot. I love, she says, and I got two tits because I'm not a monster. I mean, she has such a (laughs) sense of humor about it. And she says, you know, but it's all worth it because like, you know, nothing is more valuable or I'm paraphrasing probably, but nothing is more valuable than being the version of yourself you imagined you are, you know, or nothing's more authentic, I should say, is is being the version of yourself that you, you've dreamed of and have imagined. And that feels revolutionary today to say that. Yeah. So in 1999, yeah. I mean, to, um, to, to look at all, because even now we look at, you know, particularly with like trans folks getting surgery, like there's so much about, there's so much controversy even within the trans community now about people who do get surgery and and what that means and and all of that. And I think regardless of your point of view, I think a grotto's point that like what it comes down to is who you see yourself as and becoming that person and like take away the trans narrative. And we are telling kids that all the time, follow your dreams, be who you are, pursue your, your, your heart what the way that she describes it is no different you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean and it's amazing because like the, the especially the surgery thing it was like it, it's funny because like yeah because i haven't seen this in a long time and even though i knew who like amanda lapore was back then i didn't even realize that amanda lapore was like a trans woman i just thought she was like a fancy party lady right who was like into surgery and i was like all right whatever she's on the new york scene she's a party person and then i was like Oh, like, you know, probably 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, she's a trans woman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and I didn't even know, like, I mean, went over my head. I just thought she was a fancy lady. Same. Go figure. So, I mean, this is, it's just very interesting. The understanding that I have of a film is wildly different than it used to be, even though I studied it like on this scholarly level. And my teachers were very, very, you know, very well-spoken about this stuff. Absolutely. But there wasn't, the, we didn't have those words. And, yeah. uh, but all Moldovar was like, I'm going to do it. And I did, he did it right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, you know, got it. it's not even like, well, he's talking about being transgender, but you kind of have to like take it with a grain of salt. It's like, no, it, it, it's, it's so ahead of its time and doesn't feel preachy and feels accessible. And I think there's, there's just a real value. Like, I mean, obviously movies with 
um, throughout, I mean, the 20th century, I think we saw this with telling stories about black people, telling stories about gay people, is like the more you show these characters, the more you show black people in movies not being maids and servants and butlers and slaves, and the more that they have you know valid roles, and the more that we see gay people as more than best friends and, you know, or, or tragic people, you know, I, not that Rose is an example of a tragic person with HIV, but certainly, you know, in the 80s and the early 90s, that was a lot of what you saw for gay men in cinema. And the more that you see that these people are more than that, the more that we see that a grotto, you know, is not just what we would assume in the beginning, an assaulted sex worker, but is funny and is talented and can like, you know, captivate a room. I, I, I think that does have a very subtle effect on people and on audiences and on how we see these people and how we see these stories in general. Like, I think it's more effective sometimes than like the preachy tweet, you know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it probably like made me like totally like, oh, trans people are just people like because I was what I was studying. I mean, because there are trans people in other Maldonado films and things like that. So, you know, I was like in my early 20s when all this stuff, Mm -hmm. when I was like taking all this in. So, of course, it's just like, yeah, they're just people. Yeah, that's the way I look at it now, because it wasn't like something I had to learn or something I had to integrate later. It was just like normal. Right, right, you know, right. Yeah, it's not something you have to like shoehorn in later or re you know, rework your understanding of something. It's just, yeah, it's part of that. It's part of what these movies do is, is just like showing, yeah, they're, they're just people. And, um, but I also think there's something really smart about a Maldivar showing a grotto's reality at the very beginning, because that's true as well. You know, I mean, yes, that she was a trans woman potentially getting killed by a John, you know, and no one else was going to help her. It's like, that's a reality as well. And especially just the way they show how the, how those sex workers were working in that one spot yeah. in Barcelona. Like, I don't know if there's a, this, a different movie. So there's a TV show on, on HBO called Venenia. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And yeah, that was excellent. Anybody should absolutely watch that too. Um, that came out about, I guess, two years ago. And it's about La Venenia, Cristina, who was a trans um, well, sex worker, yeah, in Spain, who became like a breakout hit on like late night TV, yeah, and became really, really famous. And so that was in the mid '90s. So I think in like Spain, there was already like this sort of integration of trans people in some sort of popular culture, right? So before we had in America, I mean, you know, well, well before we had in America. So I'm sure that you know, Christina must have impacted. Almodovar in some way, I've, you know. I think there's something similar there. I've seen the first episode of La Veneno, Veneno. I'm such a white person saying it, but um, <laughs> amazing, absolutely amazing. And if you've if you have not seen Drag Race España, they do a whole episode dedicated to her. Ooh, yeah. Okay, good. It's, uh, okay. Oh, and by the way, you need to watch Drag Race España. Let me just. I've seen one episode so far. So oh, I'm okay. Well, I think there. it's the second episode is the La Veneno one. Ooh. So, and okay. it's and they have like. Um, What's her name? Paca? Is that her name? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Paca La Parada? Yeah, she's, she's one of the guest judges. Yeah. Oh, shit. Damn. Okay. Totally have to watch that <laughs> We now. need to end the episode now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, I, but, yeah, I think that you make a really great point. I think ha- seeing Christina on TV in the 90s, and I think it's maybe similar to what we had in the U.S. of RuPaul on Arsenio Hall, um, yeah. where it just became, I am here. I am in your living rooms. I am... You know, I'm not here to hurt you, you know, and and I think it's like what I love about someone like RuPaul or Christina is they they are not coming into our living rooms and like 
quieting down or dumbing down or like hiding the, the queerness or hiding the transness. It's just it's just existing the same way anyone else does on television. And yeah, I think that would make sense that there was like a subtle effect that by the time you see a movie like All About My Mother, it's like, oh yeah, I have some point of reference. I've seen trans women before. And yeah, it it's crazy how effective that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, so I, I mean, and it's funny because I didn't really, I knew about Christina like vaguely, um, very vaguely from, who knows where, but then when I watched the miniseries, I was like, oh my God, I think I really do know about this woman in some sort of like, you know, it really like kind of brought back some sort of stuff from the nineties, but was it on TV? Like I know it's an MTV. I, I mean, I like, I couldn't say where I got that info because I was probably in high school. Yeah. Yeah. When Christina was, was hot. So, um, I know you, yeah, mean. it was yeah, I feel some like sort of MTV situation or something. I, uh, magazines, Lord knows. Right. Like in, in the first episode when they show, I think they show like some, I probably recreated clips of her on TV mm-hmm. or maybe I saw it on drag race España, but either way it was like, why does this feel so familiar? Why does this feel like something yeah. I saw but wasn't aware of? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why and I couldn't I couldn't say why, but yeah, it's definitely like in the ethos, in the air somewhere of like queer culture or something. I couldn't say where even. Yeah. Cuz it's European and the European stuff is very, I mean, especially Spanish stuff. It's it doesn't have a lot of it doesn't pop over to America as much as we want it to. Right. Uh, even though this film, like All About My Mother won the well, he won, let's see, he won Best director at Cannes, and then he, or no, yeah, and then he also won director for, or best film for uh, Oscars. That yeah, year. yeah, best foreign, foreign film. film. Yeah, I was so thrilled to see that. I mean, you know, it, it, I, I, I think that is always the big discussion nowadays about like distinguishing foreign film from just, you know, uh, in general, best film. Like, I feel like Minari kind of brought up that controversy mm. of like, is this really a foreign film? You know, um, and obviously, all about my mother is very much a foreign film. But I guess watching something like this, I mean, there's the sense of like, and I hate to use a Drag Race reference, but you know, we're we're in the midst of UK versus the world, so that's basically mm-hmm. an all stars with international queens. And I feel like now that they've opened it up to international queens, it's like, oh. This is how it should always be because by cutting off all of the international queens or international cinema, you're actually like you're actually reducing the amount of like quality competition. Like for example, I think this year's Oscar race for best actress is kind of weak if I'm going to be honest. And I feel like maybe because it's just too limited to like the the Nicole Kidmans of it all in American <laughs> cinema. And if we had opened if we could open it up to international cinema, I feel like there are probably women in international films giving far better performances. And I don't know, I think uh I guess I'm calling for a Eurovision style Oscars is what I'm asking for. Yeah. Like, like a con that is more accessible maybe. Yeah. Cause con is, you know, I, I love this stuff there, but you know, sometimes it's not the more mainstream or that stuff's not in, even in competition. They just show it. Right. Right. Like, like West Side Story was probably like not in competition. Right. There. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes so. sense. But I, so I feel like a movie like this, it's like, I love that it won best foreign film, but I'm like dollars to donuts. This is one of the best films in general of 1999, you know? Um, Oh, absolutely. So it's like just that qualifier. I'm like, oh God, no, this is, I'm experiencing this now and I'm so late to the game, but I'm really experiencing this now with South Korean cinema, which I know is Mm -hmm. such a pretentious thing to say, but I just feel like mostly horror movies to be totally honest and like, you know, action adventure movies, but like, we've all seen Parasite and you know so everyone kind of knows like oh South Korean cinema but like there's just that thing of when you really kind of like 
you get over the subtitles and all that, there are those moments of like, oh, why are we settling for such terrible American movies sometimes? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing with the subtitles, too. Like, I find sometimes it's more engaging. Like, you know, it it feels, uh, especially with, like, just little things where the way they, like, translate stuff so you can just like learn just Spanish yeah like just like little things like that just like technical stuff like I mean I've definitely watched a lot of Maldivar films and so it's like I almost like think sometimes with that accent yes with the way they speak with the lispy thing um Mm -hmm. but it's also interesting because Celia Roth is from Argentina so you'll notice that when she speaks Spanish it's a lot for me, it's easier to understand, right? Because I'm from America, so when I hear people speak Spanish, I, they're speaking a Central American Spanish, right? So, right. So that's a really cool thing too. When you watch Almodovar, you're gonna—it's very that you know college level Spanish. It's very, very fancy Spanish, generally speaking. Right, um, right. And I, and I feel like in Spain, there because there's like isn't there's like Catalan or something like that? I feel like that's like dialect. There's there's Catalan, Gallego, um, uh, Basque uh shoot there's like five there's okay there's seven autonomous regions of spain and like five languages or seven languages in the autonomous regions so each can conduct language uh, like a court in their own language right in their own uh place so like barcelona is catalan technically mm-hmm. so they speak that's their language the little different than the like regular spanish it's yeah it's very complicated too like that's the stuff we learned in school like all of this you would never learn as an american right we don't learn about the how when franco broke you know when franco went away and then that's the reason that like almodovar became big because in the 80s like culture was open again there was no more fascism oh so yeah i mean before that there was the fascists yeah so you couldn't do shit and so it was very very horrible place to live and then he died and then democracy opened up and it flooded like it became big um i forget the name of the movement that Omoldovar was in but it's like the like 80s like kind of new wave of uh different artists uh, you know artists visual artists musicians and stuff and he was of that time wow. so that's when he started making his first uh what is it lucy peppy and bomb and other girls named mom uh mm-hmm. that was his first movie and that was like i think 35 millimeter or something or 16 millimeter that they blew up later um, into a regular format, and then he went on from there. And he oh. got a lot of state funding. Really? So, and huh. yeah, Europe. Everywhere in Europe, they do state funding. Um, for for uh, each country has like a like we don't do that here. Yeah. Um, but they <laughs> yeah they have they have money for for artists, and they give it to them, and then they can make movies. Now, obviously, he has his own um production company, Eldesio, mm-hmm. with his brother Augustin, and they that they producing their own movies for like forever at this point wow i i and i did not know that either and i love that context especially now that i'm going to dive into an amount of our rabbit hole that like he is there's a re not reactionary but there's a kind of like you know all this potential energy and then this kinetic new new wave shift that he's a part of in the 80s that i uh i love i had you know i had no idea about that because yeah I, i didn't learn about i didn't learn about any of that um so are there – I mean, do you feel that there are other people – like if you love a Maldivar, do you feel like there's another director or another – somebody else who's mm-hmm. like, if you love a Maldivar, you'll love this? Well, it's kind of hard to say be- – well, hmm. Because he's so of him – of his own type. Right. Like because everything's very like codified. And, like like he has like very specific things. Like everything's like doctors, Barcelona, Madrid – 
trans people, mm-hmm. drugs. Drugs is big. He loves to put drugs in his movies. Mm. It's very sassy 80s, like, let's do coke, yeah. let's have Xanax and get overdose and all the, like, overdoses are big in his movies. There's multiple overdoses in, like, a lot of films. Uh, things like that. So he has his own like little tropes. He also has his own like um, like the Almodovar chicas they call them, like his own troops of actors, actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. And he puts them in multiple films. So like all of these actors who have been in his films, like most of the act have been in other other of his films. He uses them over and over and over again in different. Sometimes it's one scene. Sometimes it's the whole film. It depends, you know. Um, oh, I But he love loves that. his whole, same ladies mm-hmm. over. And um, so it's kind of like who is like him. And there's a lot of, you know, Spanish and or you know, Mexican or South American directors, but he's sort of the most, hmm, the most queer. I mean, I can say there's other queer directors who are very important. Like you, you mentioned Cirque, Douglas Cirque, mm-hmm. uh, the director, American director. So um, like uh, Todd Haynes is yeah. an American director who does like, so he did, uh, you talked about uh, All the Heaven Allows. No, no. You talked about uh, Imitation of Life mm-hmm. and he made um, Far From Heaven, which was his amplification of that movie. Right. And that was a sound the re- around the same time. So he's an American director, but he's of that queer cinema. So I think of almost like, if I'm going to compare a Moldovar, I'm not going to compare to other Spanish or Spanish language directors and compare to other queer directors mm-hmm. like a Todd Haynes, who is not, who's a lot more big picture cinematic. He's not as goofy and crazy. And he does not make nearly as many films. Right. Right. That's a, I, I think that's a great comparison. Todd Haynes. I think that's, yeah, yeah I totally see what you mean. I mean, I think a Moldovar is, far more vibrant and eclectic and and i think there's so much more going on you know even if you look at far from heaven versus all about my mother uh but there is that same what i love about both of them is there is a there is that queer appreciation of women of you know the the struggling and overcoming and like feminine strength and also just the referential thing i think you know it's kind of like what i love about drag race is like making these references i love that you know, a Maldivar and Todd Haynes are kind of keeping alive the concept of Douglas Cirque and the concept of the fifties melodrama, because while it's a dated concept, the aesthetics of it are just so fabulous. And if they're not making these references, who is, you know? Right. Yeah. And I'm also thinking there's another, uh, uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder, uh-huh. a German director. Uh-huh. He's, he would be the other one, I think who's, he did another Cirque film. So he did, um uh he did uh shoot blanking right now um all he fears the soul okay which was a remake of all uh, of um of a, of a cirque film really so he did that yes so that's a remake but with instead of having a um it's like it has like an older woman who marries a uh, an african immigrant an older german woman who marries an african immigrant and then it's like everybody doesn't like them because uh, it's like racial problems right right um uh, but he's i mean he's another director that i think is vaguely because he's a queer cinema director and his stuff is very a lot of female leads you know you got i mean uh, the Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant is all women uh, is an all women film. Uh, you have Veronica Vaz, you have Lola, you have I mean there there's so many female lead films in his stuff, and it's all this bombastic colors and crazy plots and things that are just like it is very film film. Really? It's like this is fake, 
this is not real. You're in a film. And it's some of the best cinematography I've ever seen in my life. But that's another person who I think if you're going to go on the Cirque thing, that's another queer cinema Cirque kind of guy who does stuff. But he did like 40 films in 10 years and then died. Boop did. Wow. Um, I, I, oh, yeah. I had heard the name, but I had no I think I had probably just it was such like this intensely kind of dramatic name that was like, oh, I, I'm imagining, you know, just dark heavy Bergman kind of cinema but this sounds fascinating it's it's heavy and weird and colorful but yes same thing like drug use but it's funny because I don't see a lot of Almodovar and Fassbinder like comparisons because the difference is Fassbinder didn't like people he thought that people were like bad and Mm. and things like that and Almodovar has a very compassionate view of the world it's incredible everything's balanced everything balances out in the end like it doesn't mean everything's happy but things balance out and there's some sort of justice in like almost all of his films that's a i think and, and certainly in all about my mother i think that's a really great point is that in a movie that has so much kind of tragedy or just so many kind of like uh, things to overcome part of me was expecting that this was going to end with like with like you know rose's mother interfering and taking esteban away or just something really kind of heavy and awful happening and i thought oh man for everything these people have gone through like you you got to give me a happy ending and like there are multiple tragedies at play you know because there's also huma there's nina you know and and even lola and i was really relieved and impressed that by the end of the movie you know very quickly manuela you know very quickly as in you know over two years manuela you know uh reconnects with Rosa's mother and is now going to be staying with them in Madrid, in Madrid which, or excuse me, Barcelona when she comes back. Now uh, Huma is in this Lorca play and, and uh, Agrado is, I guess, kind of her assistant or is helping run that show. And Nina, as we find out, uh, Huma's lover has has gone back to her hometown and has, you know, married and had an ugly fat baby. An ugly baby. Uh, I love that. And I love that that is one of the last lines in the movie. That is actually, like, now that we're kind of moving into the end of the movie, I have to say, the ending was so, I love when a movie ends on an unexpected note. Like, a, oh, like, um, the, for some reason, whenever I think of this, the only example I can think of, but I think she's done this with other movies, um, is, do you remember that movie Enough Said with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini? Yeah, that was nice. It was a nice little movie. And at the end of the movie, it just ends with them like sitting on his porch. And then he says something and like they, they laugh about a joke and then it just ends. And I was like, what a great little note to end on. I love when it's just like a random micro moment. And that's what happens here. You know, Mar- Manuela comes back and she goes to see, you know, Agrado and Huma and and she also sees, you know, we, we find out that Lola's passed away, but Lola got to see the picture of Esteban. Lola got to hold the, the new Esteban. So Lola kind of got her dying wishes, you know, fulfilled as well and was, I think, forgiven, you know. And and then at the very end, I mean, like, yeah, everybody's in a good place. But I love the weird note of, like, the last the last moment being a grotto telling Manuela about Nina's baby and then Huma turning and saying, I'll talk to you later. And then leaves. And that's the end of the movie. Like, why does it end on that note? I know. It's just, it's very like, my husband was like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then it goes to the, t- the dedication. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's just life goes on, man. Yeah, life goes on. I love that. I was so like, I, I rewound it and watched it again. Cause I was like, I can't believe that was the final note. And I love, cause I think it's so important. Like, 
as a movie ends, I think as anything ends, every moment of that movie or that show or that book becomes more important. You know what I mean? Like the closer you get to the final second or the final word, everything is valuable. And like is and the decision on what shot to end a movie on, I feel like is the whole balancing act for me sometimes is how a movie ends, you know? And so for it to end on this like random line that that really wasn't like a it wasn't a period it was like a semicolon on the end of the movie and that it was on the absolutely iconic Huma like I mm-hmm. I don't think I've queened out about her enough this episode but I, I got the impression that uh, Marissa Paredes is like a regular of his I think I saw her in some other yeah yeah, yeah. but oh my god just I, I she is iconic that there's no other word for it yeah, Marisa Paradis is like, she's so apparently, she was like a teen idol in Spain in the 60s and things. And I was funny because I only know her through a Moldovar's films. And um, she's been in like so much stuff yeah. over in Spain. And this was her first kind of international or like, well, probably like the flower of my secret, but um, kind of the well, Moldovar was like her international breakthrough. Oh, great. So people, but she was like huge, huge over there mm-hmm. before that. So, and understandably so, she's just so like amazing middle-aged woman energy sort of fiery and mysterious and amazing yeah and and like there's the potential like i feel like she has probably played some like like she could she could play like a real villain she could play like a real haradan you know and i loved that i was so expecting huma to kind of get like the helen lawson in valley of the dolls treatment i expected (laughs) her to get her wig thrown in a toilet at the end and even that she gets like a peaceful conclusion. I mean, I love that we end like the tension at the end of the movie is like her mixed feelings about Nina. Like I just like that is just so weird to me that that's where we end. But like ultimately, she's still a successful actress. She's got a grotto. Like it's it, the fact that this movie ends with like three strong, capable women. I just was like, okay all right, where have you been all my goddamn life movie? But it's, yeah, it is, it is such an interesting version of a happy ambivalent ending. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's quite amazing. Cause how, how do you have that kind of ending in a movie? That's so, so sad. Yeah, You know, yeah. Uh, it's, it's horribly tragic. I mean, Jesus, you know, it is two women. I mean, a woman loses her baby, a woman die. Uh, two women lose their children Yeah, that we know of. I mean, cause Rosa's mom, Hello, Sister Rosa's mom. She loses her child. Right. It's horrible. I mean, so she's not only dealing with like, you know, she had a baby and she's a nun. Hi, that alone is an amazing plot. Point. Right. Like the nun has a baby. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, you know? the nun gets pregnant with Lola, the sex worker, gets pregnant, has HIV. Like there's such like, a, again, this Southern Gothic melodrama that I, I just loved because it was just like, oh, it's like these stakes. You're just navigating these stakes so artfully, you know? Yeah. And the fact that like, even like, you know, Manuela gets to act out her sadness on stage mm-hmm. and that one special night. And it's, it's, it's both cathartic in so many ways for her. It's cathartic for her past. So, cause we're for her youth, like, Oh, I get to do this again. Yeah. And it's cathartic for just 
being a woman who is in you know uh, under the subject uh, of a of a spouse you could say because lola was both her husband and then you could say maybe her wife but her husband anyway uh, an abusive spouse right and all that sort of stuff so she's screaming for herself yeah i mean i mean and and that i mean that was just such a great moment of like you she is literally playing stella on stage and you know i mean huma playing blanche is, is just wonderful but i love that this movie there there is kind of a recognition and a love letter to the character of Stella Kowalski. And I just, I, and as a Best Supporting Actress, you know, aficionado and appreciator, I just love that it was very clear to me that a Maldivar is like paying attention to the Stella of Streetcar Named Desire. It's very easy to be distracted by Blanche and obviously Stanley, but like to be that, like, I just love like the recognition, even the fact that there was one scene, I think, where Manuela was watching a rehearsal and it was a scene between Stella and a, a, a featured supporting female character in Streetcar. But like the scene starts with that character talking to Stella. And I thought, I, this is such like a recognition of like the women in Streetcar named Desire. I don't know. Like it would, to me, it just felt like a little whistle tone of like, I don't know, in some ways only a queer director or a queer writer would think to like give these two characters a moment, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And there's only like three men in the film. Really, I mean, other than like the doctors and the background right. characters, there's Esteban, the young Esteban, who we're only with for like a few scenes. And then we have Rose's dad, who right. is so tragic. Oh, my God, that breaks my heart. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. I, I lost it. Like at that point, I started like I was crying a lot, of course. And I'm like, crying for that part. And then I'm just trying the whole thing. My husband's like, Are you OK? Oh, God. Oh, no. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I know. And it, I didn't even really connect when they had stopped at the square. When Rose and Manuela were in the taxi and they stopped at the square towards the end. And then she saw she sees Silpa. And I was like, it just didn't it didn't connect with me. I was like when she said, you know, goodbye, Papa or whatever. I was like, that was your father and that dog knows you like it all came together and it was just so i mean to bring it back to imitation of life it it is such a it's such a you know a, a, a tearjerker classic melodrama tearjerker moment moment in imitation of life there is um the because have you seen that one about the um, oh yeah, yeah yeah it's been a while but yeah it's so wonderful so at the yeah. end her you know uh Mady norman's character passes away susan coner's character who's been passing is white for you know much of the movie then comes to her funeral where mahalia jackson is singing it's just the most magical moment in, in filmmaking ever and there is this moment where then like the daughter is like crying on her mother's casket and it's just this big ripping out your heart moment and i felt like this was such an homage to that of like the you know the the tearful goodbye papa moment i was like this is such classic cirque and it's so effective yeah and i mean it's it, it's so brilliant on a moldavar's part that the two fathers are checked out they're they're completely checked out i mean rose's father is not his fault he has alzheimer's whatever right. it's you know so he's sick but he doesn't know what's going on and lola is like you know out of the picture basically on drugs most of the time right mm -hmm. and when it is back in the picture like kind of is there and then dies i mean so the fathers are ineffective at, at their job yeah right yeah and they're not good at if if they are around they suck i mean like lola is abusive and is a womanizer so right very very bad controlling abusive womanizer not not somebody is like is a good father yeah yeah it's true there really aren't any like men to or or you know anyone who is male identifying at any point in their lives in this movie who is uh 
sympathetic. I mean, I, I even think about one of my favorite scenes in this movie, what I thought was just, oh, was just so great was when they're at the hospital after Esteban, you know, dies and, and he's in the ICU and then the doctors come out and I think it's, uh, it's Manuela and I think it's someone, it's a woman she works with that we mm-hmm. only see. Yeah, it's her, like her coworker friend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if that was one of those, like, you know, Amal de Barchicas. Maybe she, she has a bigger role in another movie. <laughs> but uh, they're waiting outside, and then the doctors come out, and then they pull up two chairs and they sit down. And then the one says, unfortunately, and then Manuela just breaks. Because we all know that. It's like you're just waiting for either we have good news or we have bad news. And then you know you don't need to hear the rest and i felt like even there the men are just like purveyors of bad news you know yeah and even there's this like tiny nuance in that thing where the two doctors go out and they like look at each other and then they drag these chairs because yeah. they're like this is going to be way too hard to talk about they're like this is our coworker who does the organ transplant stuff and now we have to tell her she has to do an organ transplant for her son holy shit this is a lot yeah you know and it's just this wonderful nuance of them like not being able to deal with it and but they have to. Yeah, that that was one of my favorite scenes. It was just there was so much like little storytelling and pulling the chairs over and the tension of waiting for them to say something. And then it all they have to say is unfortunately and she breaks. And I mean, it's worth mentioning just in general, Cecilia Roth is phenomenal in this. She was giving me like Maria Bello energy. Yeah, I mean, she's just so she's so good in this. I love the way she uh, the nuance of her when she eats and she talks when she's eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I don't know. It's just so delicious. The way she's like kind of like her mouth is open, but she's eating and it's like, it's not gross. It's just like awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, in that opening scene when they're watching All About Eve, definitely. Yeah. There's like not annoying eating. Yeah. He has her eating a lot in it. There's a lot of scenes with her eating food and it's just uh, it's like the food acting is so delicious yeah yeah that's a whole category food acting yeah there's an (laughs) art there i was surprised to see that of like the the acting nomination certainly cecilia roth you know won and nominated for some awards i was surprised to see that uh candela pena as nina nina had actually gotten a lot of recognition and i thought Hmm. she's good but yeah like if it's best supporting actress i thought well that would Huma and Agrado first before Nina. Yeah, I always think of Nina. It's not a minor character because she's important, but she doesn't have a lot of, like, there's not a lot of gravitas. You kind of hear about her more from other people. Right, right. Yeah, her story is tragic, but her scenes in the movie are not as, it's not as impactful as, you know, even Rosa, yeah. you know. Uh, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously Penelope Cruz, I mean, is... I think, you know, on uh, Best Supporting Podcast, we did early in the in the podcast, we did, um, oh my goodness, Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Oh, wow, well, yeah, okay. And I mean, yeah. listen, I have feelings about Woody Allen, and we went into it kind of like, well, it's Woody Allen, but maybe we can, you know, extract the, the wheat from the chaff. And I, I have to say, like, I think I went into that thinking, why did she win an Oscar for this? Penelope Cruz is just a phenomenal actress. I mean, she does some really heavy crying in this movie that is, was just like heart wrenching. But in general, I feel like I don't give her the credit she's due. Oh yeah, I mean, this one is good. Like this, this like Sister Rosa is, is like a nice little um, role. But she's done a lot. Like um, she did a film with Almodovar a few years later called Volver. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's very that's like a much more meaty role. And I guess this new one, which I've like heard Oscar buzz about Parallel Mothers. Yeah. 
but I have not seen it because I don't think it starts playing. I think it starts playing today in Kansas or something, which like, I'll just wait to watch it streaming um, right now at this time of the world. But um, you know, uh, that's, I mean, she's in a lot of his films. She's great. I mean, she's, I I like the fact that she, she's an interesting one. She's like a crossover, Mm. like international American speaking uh, star. And she's done a lot of his films. She did like Albros Los Años, which is the Spanish version of Vanilla Sky before she did Vanilla Sky in America. Mm -hmm. Um, so she was in the I like the original better honestly it's more creepy it's more scary it's much more horror yeah. um, but yeah so she was cool and I, I mean and not who's not in this film but Antonio Banderas is also uh, one of Almodovar's people so there was a film that came out in 2019 uh, it's called Pain and Glory mm-hmm. and that was excellent um, that's with Antonio Banderas he's kind of like this it's like a portrait of a middle aged like man okay. uh, super good so, one of his better roles he's awesome too but he was like a crossover yeah. so he started with Motivar and his weird little films and then became this American actor, which was very surprising. So Motivar has really given us a lot of different actors and given them platforms to kind of jump off of, which is cool yeah. too. It's these actors that I feel like in these weird little Maldivar movies, you know, Penelope Cruz and, and Antonio Banderas, then they cross over into the U.S. And I feel like their brand in the U.S. is like Penelope Cruz was, you know, would just get spicy Latin roles. And Antonio Banderas, it was just, you know, the, you know, spicy Latin roles. And it's just, I, I think that's so fascinating that like then they come over here and like there's just this very narrow typecasting. And I think that's why I kind of discredit both of them as actors with you know, just based on their American filmographies, because they they are not given the same opportunities we're seeing here. I mean, I think for a lot of people to hear that Antonio Banderas has been in like these kooky, you know, in art artsy kind of you know movies, you know, in Spain, I think would be very surprising. And but saying this, I mean, it's like I could see a world where very realistically Antonio Banderas would play Lola. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he's kind of, well. Hmm. There's, I wouldn't say you put him in drag ever, but there's this like one film. Like, I, I don't love all of, I mean, some of Almodovar's, he's gonna, he's made 43 films, some are not gonna be my favorite. Right, right. Um, so this was one that came out, The Skin I Live In. Mm-hmm. Um, Bandera, I hate that movie. Like, it's just the places it goes is like gross and weird yeah. and just uncomfortable. Um, and then there's uh, there's another one from the 80s, which is very popular. It's um, Atame, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. I've heard of that, yep. Yeah, so that's Antonio Banderas as well. I don't really dig on that one. I've always it honestly feels very rapey to me because it is very rapey. Mm. Um, there's a, that's the thing too. Almodovar, especially back in the day, and maybe he, he, there's a lot of elements of sexual assault and rape in his films. Mm. Sometimes that's just that's just trope he uses because it's melodramatic, right? You know, right. so that's but in Atsume, I mean, he basically like it. it Antonio Banderas plays this obsessive fan of a porn star who then kidnaps her to make her like him like her like love him oh wow yeah uh so that one i mean is just like ugh. it's it's pretty i mean even when i was in college i was like i don't know about this it feels a little messed up right right um yeah. and i haven't really seen it since then i think it's like streaming on like hbo or something right now but um yeah so i mean not every film is going to be perfectly balanced which is interesting like this one is so well balanced but not every one of them not all of them are yeah um, yeah so this, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of, you know, people reviewing a Maldivar's filmography feel like this is really a peak, a pinnacle, like even now still feel like this is some of the best work he's done. In your opinion, like if someone was watching this or hearing this episode, they're like, oh, where, you know, I'm going to watch all by my mother, but then where should I go next? Like, what would be some of your recommendations? 
Well, I mean, I'd say like if you're going to like a classic would be Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown mm-hmm. from 1988. Um, I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's it's like a woman sets a bed on fire. I mean, you got to see that. So um, it, it's yeah, Antonio Banderas is in that. Mm-hmm. He plays a guy named Yvonne uh, in that. So then he plays this nerdy guy who has a lisp, uh, like a like a speech impediment, I should say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there you go. A little different role. Um, that one's awesome. Uh, I would say like all about my uh, flower, my secret. Um, that's Marisa Paradis is the is the lead in that, oh, and she's yeah. wonderful. Um, it's about a like tragic love affair. Um, uh, talk to her, Habla con Ella. Oh my God, it's that is a film that I mean I I I watch it and I can't believe it turned out as well and balanced as it is because it's a pretty intense subject matter, mm-hmm. and it's basically um, this woman is a. Uh, She's a, has a, 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 not a concussion, a a, a coma. She's in a coma, Mm -hmm. I should say. She's in the hospital for a very long time. And unfortunately she is uh, like assaulted and all that stuff. So it's about that. And it's so well balanced. It's amazing. Like I, 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 like it's beautiful. I cry. And you wouldn't think that something like that would be able to be dealt with, with compassion. And it is for every character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they shouldn't work and it's working. No. Yeah. No, um, I'd say like Volver is very good. That's a uh, Penelope Cruz mm-hmm. uh, with the leading actress. Um, uh, I heard Julieta is great, which was 2016. I haven't seen that yet, but um, Pain and Glory, absolutely. But Antonio Banderas, 2019, mm-hmm. really excellent. One of the best ones I've thought he's done recently. Um, I mean, you have, uh, what is there? There's, um, oh shoot, what is that? Bad Education oh, right. with uh, Gail, uh, Gail, uh, Gay, uh, Bernal. Garcia, Gail Garcia Bernal. Gail yeah. Bernal. That guy, he plays, uh, I think he plays a trans woman in that, actually. That sounds familiar. I can I can picture the, like, a screen grab from that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of a, like, a, like a mystery. So a lot of his stuff is very noir mystery sort of thing, like, because it's amplifications of, like, Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of thing. Because especially with his uh, Multiverse title sequences, they're often very highly stylized. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so that's like his thing. It's a cinema, you know, cinema, old gravitas, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so those are the films like I like a lot. There's definitely some that you're going to watch and can be like, this is ridiculous. Like there's one that, I mean, it felt like he made this one in, um, it's called, I'm so excited in 2013. And it felt like he just got a bunch of people together with money and was like, let's make a movie. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Okay. It's only for like fans right. and stuff. It's so stupid. I mean, honestly, it's like people on a plane that like, they, they, like the, the plane is like out of control and all these people like decide to take a bunch of drugs and like dance around on the plane. And it's ridiculous. Oh God. Okay. It's so bad, but like good. Cause like Antonio Banderas is in it and Penelope Cruz and all of these really big people. It's yeah. Wow. He was just like, I had money. I want to make this movie. Yeah. I got money. I got a plane. I got two weeks. Let's make a mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah. So so that's kind of his stuff. So sometimes you're going to watch it and be like, uh, and sometimes you're going to love it. So yeah. yeah. But it's specific. There's a point of view. It's, uh, I assume uh, this is not the only movie where there's, you know, uh, very strong color themes throughout. I mean, I just, that shade of red throughout All About My Mother was like my favorite shade of red. I was like, there was one shot of like Huma in Manuela's apartment lighting a cigarette. She has red hair. She's wearing red. She's in a red chair. She's got red curtains behind her. And I was just like, oh my God, I just want to print this picture on a sheet cake so we can eat it. Like, this is just so beautiful. So I assume within this filmography, this is not the only movie that is just, uh, even if you're not into the plot, it's a beautiful experience to watch. 
Yeah. And I think it's really accessible too. I mean, as films go, yes, there's a lot of like elements that could be possibly shocking to people if they're not, you know, yeah. if, but maybe not because it's dealt with so well. Yeah. Like yeah. before I saw this, cause I hadn't watched it in like, yeah, like 10 years or something. And I was like, Oh, I told my husband he hadn't seen anything by him. I was like, watch out. This might be a little crazy. And I'm watching. I'm like, Oh my God, this is really well balanced actually mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the other films. So, and he was, he loved it. He thought it was beautiful. He was like blown away. He's like, I can't believe how, how well made this is. And he's like, what year is this? Oh my God. Right. He's like, how is this not this year? I totally agree. Cause I going in, especially 1999, 1999 is a mood. It's a theme. It's a vibe. It's a feeling. And so I kind of went in expecting a bit of a 1999 vibe mood feeling. I fully agree. This could have come out last year and I would not be any wiser. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's really special. It's a very special film. I mean, and to think that, you know, it holds up this well 23 years later and yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, I watched it twice last week and mm-hmm. I cried both times. You oh, know? Yeah. I mean, it's still, it still doesn't matter. It's still really amazing. I mean, I've, I've probably seen this like, I don't know, eight times, 10 times over my life at this point, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's a, it's a good tradition to keep up. I feel like I'm going to be catching up with you. Uh, and we may be back on this podcast discussing more Maldivar because I'm, uh, I'm swooning. I'm just, uh, I I can't thank you enough for suggesting this and, and making this movie a part of my life for bringing Miss Agrado into my life. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. No, that makes me really happy. And I love the way that she refers to drag queens as the drags. Yes, the drags. The drags. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. she's just, I, I think for anyone who, yeah, who just I, wants that experience of like, like the other night I was like, I was sitting down and I was like, I just want to like, I just want a movie to knock my socks off. Let me just find something that's going to knock my socks off. And I ended up watching, I don't know if you, I don't know your feelings on horror movies or zombie movies, but I ended up watching the South Korean movie Train to Busan. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. And I was like, I was good. I'm going to watch it at some point. Definitely. Oh my God. I heard it's exciting. It's exciting. It's emotional. It's intelligent. It's, I was really blown away. And by the end, I was like, this is what I wanted. I wanted a movie to just blow my socks off. And so um, and that was just within the last week. So between that and all about my mother, I have no socks left. So <laughs> I'm blaming you. Um, well, uh, if if folks want to hear more of your of your insights, your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions, if they want to see your origami or get some notary, you know, something notarized, where can folks find more of you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, Liana Marie K. Uh, I'm also, you can find my origami, uh, Leanne K paper on Instagram. Uh, I make Kusadama. They're these like spinning flower ball things. They're quite lovely. So, oh, you know, check them out. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I'll put a link in the description. So thank um, you, thank you. I love that. <laughs> uh, well, as usual, thank you for coming to this podcast and classing it up. And I, oh. it's always a joy and I can't wait for time round four. No, thank you for having me. It was awesome talking to you. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Well, folks, thank you you, and thank you. And of course, if anybody has any thoughts they want to add to this conversation, uh, you can always just drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. Of course, you can also find me on Instagram at Trucker underscore. You can hear even more of me on my other two podcasts, uh, All Right Mary, currently covering season 14, and Drag Race UK versus the World or Best Supporting Podcast, where we are celebrating Best Supporting Actresses every week with my co-host and previous guest of the pod, Nick Kachanov. And I think that's everything. So stick around, or at least don't unsubscribe, because I'll be back in your ears very soon. 
And uh, that is all I've got for you. So, uh, au revoir, Simone. I think I'll be going, if you'll excuse me. That's what I said. I'm staying. I'm staying.